0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at Roundrockchurch.s. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. So let's pray. God,
1: um, would you equip and bless LC with the gift of preaching this morning? God, as I know, He has dwelt with you um, and
0: asked of you to speak through him today. And God, would you allow us, uh,
1: the people here today, to hear you and to be moved in ways that you want us to move? Amen. Amen.
0: Well, good morning, church. Um, again, my name is L. C. Alexander. Um, uh, my wife, Kaylee, and I have been attending uh, Round Rock uh, Church Christ for about A year now, we moved to the area around this time last summer, and uh, we visited a couple of churches when we came uh, to town. And we came to Round Rock Church of Christ, and that kind of completed our search. Uh, We knew that this is where we wanted to be. Uh, We knew that this is uh, the church that we wanted to be a part of, and we're extremely excited about all the things that God is doing uh, here at Round Rock Church of Christ. And uh, we were we were really blown away when we got a jar of honey and a coffee mug. We were like, "Yeah, this is." This is, where we, this is where we want to be. Uh, so yeah, we are extremely excited about um, uh, being here, and uh, I am honored to uh, be able to come and be able to preach for you this Sunday morning, um, and my thanks does uh, as fall short of any words that I could say. Um, so the, the, the verse that we just read this morning, uh, John chapter 5, verses 1 through 10, if you have your Bibles or your phone, um, you can start to pull those things out. But before we jump in, I kind of wanted to share a little bit about me um, and just uh, a couple things before we, before we jump in. So this Friday is actually going to be Kaylee and I's uh, sixth year anniversary, okay? And uh, we are extremely excited about that. And it seems like just yesterday that we were in the mountains of Allens Park, Colorado, uh, getting married. And if you know um, anything about me, you'll, you'll come to know about me. Um, my wife and Kaylee and I are very different people. They say opposites attract. We are very different people. Um, she is a very poised individual. She never gets too high. She never gets too low. She kind of hangs out in that middle margin. <sighs> Me, I'm not necessarily that way. I am what you would call uh, a very emotional person. And um, on our wedding day, Kaylee was still her poised self. She might have shed a couple of tears. Here and there, she wiped those things away and she was right back to her poised self. Me, on the other hand, not so much. Um, I would say I cried probably about 80% of that whole wedding ceremony. Now, it's not a big deal when you shed a couple of tears, and you get back to what you were doing originally. But that isn't my that isn't how I cried. God didn't bless me with the gift to shed a couple of tears and get back to the to the main thing. I am what you would call an ugly crier, okay? My face morphs into this thing where it looks like it's going to melt off the rest of my head. And not only that, but like if you ask me a question, my voice is relatively deep. Uh, but if you ask me a question, my voice hits like this high octave thing that will put any soprano in this room to shame. It's, and it's not something that I'm proud of, but that's just what God blessed me with. If you don't believe me, I have proof. Here is me on our wedding day. Ugly crying as Kaylee and my father-in-law, Travis, were getting ready to come down the aisle. Now, I think I lost vision in my left eye. Uh, my left leg went numb. I don't know if that's a heart condition or something like that, but that is how I looked. 80% of our wedding day. Uh, the pictures are great, but they're, most of them look like that. Um, anyways, so uh, I, I say all that to say um, that's just how God made me. Uh, another occasion that's a lot different than this. Um, I was uh, on a mission trip uh, with the college ministry that I was a part of in Dallas uh, around my junior or senior year of college. I can't remember. Um, Well, the way it works is we would go to Dallas during spring break and we would partner with different uh, ministries and different churches um, in the surrounding areas of Dallas. And we would um, kind of go door to door and uh, invite people to come to the local parks and we would serve them and pray for them and play games and different things like that. Well, we were at a park and an individual began to approach me. He had two, or approach to outreach and he had two friends with him. And, and as he was walking up, God really highlighted this individual. And I knew I was gonna end up having a conversation with him. So as he got closer, I walked up to him and I shook, uh, shook his hand and we began to talk. And he had a remarkable, just unbelievable story. Um, just some background information about him. He had just recently been released from prison actually for possession and robbery and theft. And he, he'd he gone through a lot. And I didn't feel like I had a lot to give him. I, I I didn't grow up that way. I didn't have that type of a background, but all I had for him was what we believe was enough, which was the, the Holy Spirit. So I began to pray for him and, and give him whatever advice that I had uh, for him. And as I was having this conversation, Uh, one of the preachers was standing off in the back and he was kind of watching the conversation the whole time. So as I finished this conversation with this individual and he walked away, the preacher came straight up to me and he said, uh, Hey, what was that conversation all about? And I told him, you know, this individual had, uh, just been released from prison and kind of gave him all the stuff that he told me. And he looked at me and he said, well, did, did he tell you everything? And I said, "Well, he didn't tell me his whole life story. We didn't have that kind of time, but he told he gave me a a good amount of information." And he said, "Well, I'm assuming he didn't tell you that he was once a a, a member of of the Klan." And I said, uh, "What clan? And he said, uh, "I think I think you know what clan I'm talking about. He was a a former member of the of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan." And when he said that. My heart dropped. I remember kind of taking a step back and being like, is this a a joke? Come to find out that preacher knew a lot about this individual. He had been in the neighborhood for a while. Um, He said, listen, I don't know what your conversation was like with him. But from from what it looked like, that was nothing short of a miracle from God. I was blown blown away by what I just saw. He walked away. I found the nearest curb. I sat down and you guessed it. I started to ugly cry. And the reason why, because I was blown away. I was blown away by the love and the kindness and the grace and mercy that was shown to me by God. I couldn't believe that God would position me in such a position to be able to love on this individual and care for him in the way that he did. However, If I were to take a step back and be completely honest and transparent, which is what we're called to do as believers, especially in front of each other, I got to say, had I known that information prior to that conversation, I'm not sure that that conversation would have ever actually happened. And the reason I say that is because I believe that there would have been something in my mind and in my heart stopping me from being able to have that conversation. I believe that there would've been some fear inside of me. I think there would've been some anxiety inside of me. There might've even been a little bit of resentment inside of me. I'm not sure that I would've positioned myself, even if God had highlighted this individual in front of a million people and said, that's the one I want you to go talk to. I'm not sure that I would've been able to do such a task. And the reason I ask that, or the reason I say that this morning is because I want to ask, have you ever found yourself in a similar situation? Have you ever found yourself in a position where you had the opportunity to maybe shine your light and, and be bright in the midst of a dark world? But because of the things that you have in your, in your heart and in your mind, have you ever found yourself rerouting or redirecting yourself in another direction. Now, the last thing I want to do when I say that is I don't want anyone to feel sh- guilty or shameful for wrestling with that. And the reason I say that is because it's hard. Like it's not an easy work. Whenever we step out to, to be a light, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, it's, it's not an easy task. It's not an easy thing to do. And again, the last thing I want to do is make anyone feel guilty or shameful for that because it is, it is scary. But it's what we're called to do an article that uh, i came across last week was written by a man named chad hunsberger of colonial heights church and he listed five main reasons why people are hesitant to share the gospel of jesus christ and it's funny because out of all those five things there's actually one thing that he kind of makes his focal point and that's the word fear and this, this word fear has a way of playing itself out in a lot of different ways. One of those ways is the fear of embarrassment. We don't want to be made fun of. Maybe we share the gospel of Jesus Christ only for someone to think that we're loony or crazy.
1: Maybe the fear of no response. We share the good news of Jesus, what we believe in, our convictions but
0: we have a fear that we might, we might be rejected. Only to hear people say thanks, but no thanks. Or what about the fear of intense response? So you're on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you share your, your thoughts and your convictions and your beliefs only to hear people get frustrated with you and say, don't project your thoughts and your feelings and your convictions onto me. What about the fear of ignorance? Maybe they ask us a question that we haven't studied. They'd ask us a question that we might not have the answers to. There's a lot of them going around right now in 2023, a lot of them. And lastly, the fear of shame. Maybe there's something inside of us. Maybe there's some sin that's inside of us that we feel like keeps us at bay from sharing the the goodness in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. If you've been walking with Christ for any amount of time, you've probably experienced at least one of these. And if you're a seasoned saint, someone who has walked with Christ for the majority of their lives, you've probably experienced all five, and maybe even some that that aren't even on the screen. Because again, this is not an easy work.
1: This is hard. This is challenging. So, What do we do? What do we do with this tension? What do we do
0: when we feel as though there is things in our way that keep us from engaging in the mission to shine bright and be a light for the lost and the broken? So last week, we heard Matt do a phenomenal job um, introducing us to the series that we're in called Withering Away. And we read the story of the man with the withered hand and Matt broke down the true meaning of the Sabbath in showing up uh, to reveal our brokenness, to allow God to truly heal us in the parts of us that might be withering away. So this week, I kind of want to continue on that path, and I want to tell another story. This story takes place in the book of John. It's another Sabbath healing. It's another miracle displayed by Christ, and it's another opportunity for us to learn about the heart and the character of Jesus. So if you have your Bible or your phone, uh, you can read along with me. This is the NIV version, and if you don't, obviously it is here on the screen. So it says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38
1: years. Verse six, I love this. When Jesus saw him lying there
0: and learned,
1: Now, the
0: Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is not exactly like the other Gospels, okay? They are all unique in their own individual way, but the Gospel of John is written primarily to Gentile believers and those who are searching for the truth of Jesus Christ. So he spends a ton of his time going into extraordinary detail about the power and the majesty and the supremacy of Jesus. And he's attempting to leave no doubt to the reader about the authority that Christ carries. That's why in John 20, verse 31, he writes, but these are written down. He's talking about the miracles that we see in the book of John. These are written down that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that through this belief, you may have life in his name. So John isn't writing the gospel to necessarily wow the reader or to modify people's behavior in some way. He's writing these things to show that Christ is who he says that he is. So in this particular story, uh, there is a spot and it's a pool to be exact where John illustrates that there is a number of sick and disabled people who would gather around that pool. And they were there for one purpose and one purpose only, and that purpose was to be healed. The pool of Bethesda was seen as a pool that had this miraculous healing power. And how do we know this? Because in verse seven, it says, I have no one to help me into the pool. When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So some biblical scholars and Bible interpreters believe that those who gathered around this pool this was it for them. This was their last hope. This wasn't like a, a, a spa where you go and get rejuvenated. These people had nothing else. They had exhausted all the rest of their resources. They searched high, low, all around. And they didn't have anything else. A lot of these people were outcasts. This, this was their last hope. They tried everything else. So they believed that once the pool was bubbled and stirred, the first one in would receive their blessing. They will receive their miracle. They tried everything else. So if you could for a second, just imagine that hopeless, sad, broken,
1: empty environment. Wasn't a lot of light there wasn't a ton of hope floating around in the atmosphere. Verse 7
0: also shows us that this guy totally misunderstood that it was Jesus that was talking to him. He had no idea. Jesus had asked him the golden question, do you want to get well? And this is the question that we see so many people in scripture wish and hope and pray that Jesus would say to them. For instance, what about the woman with the issue of blood who knew that if she just could touch the hem of his garment, that she would be healed? Or what about the man who was pushed aside and marginalized and plagued because he had leprosy? And he saw Jesus and he approached him and he said, if you are willing to heal me. And what about right before this, at the end of chapter four, where we see the royal official whose son was sick and dying and he begged Jesus to Heal his son. So time and time again, we see people in scripture who are falling at the feet of Jesus, begging him, can you give me a miracle? All of my resources are spent. Yet, here in this story, we actually see the opposite. We see a man who was weak. He was hopeless. And he was defeated by life, and it seemed as though maybe he had given up. It would have been easy. It would have been easy for Jesus to look at this man, to shake his head, and just kind of walk away. Or for him to get busy doing other things to sort of avoid that situation. He could have easily said, let me find a person maybe around here who hasn't given up hope. He could have seen this situation as too much to handle or too much to bear. He could have spent his time doing other things with different people. Because after all, this man was in a pretty dark place. And it would have been incredibly easy for Jesus to deny this man a miracle because the absence of
1: his faith. He could have just left him. He could have said, never mind. And he could have let him wither away. But instead, what does he do? What does he do? Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, don't stay there. Get up. Pick up your mat. Pick up
0: that thing that you've been laying on for 38 years. Pick up that mindset. Pick up that spirit pick it up, and walk. It doesn't say that Jesus walked away discouraged. It doesn't say that Jesus walked away unable or unwilling to help him because he was overwhelmed by the situation. No, Jesus replied in love and in power, and he brought forth one of the greatest miracles that we see written down
1: in Scripture. Not only that, But let's talk about the place where the man was located.
0: This was a place that you and me would probably want to avoid. I'm sure it was smelly. I'm sure it was loud with people groaning, crying, complaining about their pain. I'm sure being in that environment altogether was a very unpleasant experience. But guess what? Guess where we find our Lord and our Savior? Right there in the midst. We find him right there in the midst of it all. He didn't allow fear of rejection or persecution. Now, remember, this is the Sabbath healing. The persecution by the Pharisees is coming. It's coming. He didn't allow that or discouragement or frustration Or an uncomfortable environment or or a plethora of all the other emotions and thoughts to hinder his ability to love this man and meet him exactly where he was at. Again, it would have been easy to turn around and let this man simply wither away. It would have been easy for Jesus to allow this man to continue waiting for his moment to get into the pool. It would have been easy for Jesus to allow this man to continue to believe what he had believed for 38 years of his life, but he doesn't.
1: Instead, he says, get up, change the narrative, pick up your mat, and walk. He changes this man's life in an instant. So as I close, I wanna ask you a question. I wanna ask us a question.
0: Have you done a spiritual audit lately? Have you looked at the ways in which you've engaged those who might be lost and broken around you? And again, like I said before, this is a hard work. It's not easy. It can feel exhausting, emotionally exhausting. Sometimes it can feel as though justice is being withheld from us because we're not being heard or seen. And the last thing I want to do is 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 sweep all of that under the rug and act like it's not there because it is and it's hard. But what is also real is the fact that our Lord and our Savior didn't allow those hard things to stop him from doing God's work. He didn't allow those things to stop him from seeing the lost and the broken.
1: Yes, it's hard. Christ pressed on. Yes, it's hard. But we too
0: must press on. In fact, later we see see in verse 17 that after the healing of the invalid man, guess what? Guess who shows up? The Pharisees. The Pharisees show up. And they began to persecute Jesus. And he didn't run and hide. He stood ten toes deep in the sand and he said, My father is always at work and to this very day. And I too am working. Look, he knew the invalid man was going to be discouraged. But he still healed him. He knew the invalid man was going to not have the faith. But he still healed him. He knew that he was going to be in an unpleasant environment. But he still healed him. He knew he was going to be persecuted. But he still healed him. He still said, pick up your mat and walk. He still loved him. He still served him. He still obeyed the will of
1: God. Here's what I believe to be true. That if we are truly going to be a church that
0: is home to those who are in search of a home, we have to be willing to continue
1: to do this work. We have to be willing to continue in this mission.
0: We have to be willing to not only show up broken, like we heard Matt talk about last week, but we have to be willing to show up for those that are broken as well. And things can get messy, like I've said 100 times already. Things can get messy in that area, but how amazing will it be when when we see people come to know Jesus because of our commitment to this journey, our commitment to not allow people to wither away, but instead to see them, love them, and invite them in to encounter our King. Maybe you're here today. Sometimes you hesitate to share the gospel, or you've hesitated to Share the good news, of Jesus, because of one of the five things I
1: listed earlier or something else. But I want to encourage you. Fear not. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The same
0: spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that is living in you and me. And that same spirit has power. That spirit has power. That spirit is the light for those who are in the dark. And God placed it in you and me. And that is an honor. So let let us shine before others so people may see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. God is not going to call us to go and be a light and not equip us first to do so. Jesus was able to continue to heal that man because Jesus knew who he was. He knew who he was in the Father's sight. He knew his purpose and he knew his mission. Ultimately, he knew his call. My prayer for us, church, is that we too can discover our purpose. That we too can know who it is that we are. Because when that happens... We will begin to see our homes change. We will begin to see our workplaces change. We will begin to see this church change. And ultimately, we will begin to see this city change. We will truly become a
1: congregation that is home to those who do not have one. Let's pray. Father God, uh, we come to you now and we just thank you so much for the opportunity to um,
0: be able to to gather together in your name for we know that around this world um, we have brothers and sisters who do not have the same freedoms that we so often take for granted. So we thank you. We, We pause in this moment and we thank you for this opportunity. We just pray that this week the rest of today, that we are able to be the hands and the feet um, of your son, that we are able to see the lost and and broken, and not just see them, but engage them, um, and and invite them to have a seat at your table. We love you. We thank you. We pray that you go with us as we leave this place. Watch
1: over us, guide us, and keep us in your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.